Every day, a small group of people are making quantum leaps forward, building wealth faster than most dream possible, almost like they have the Midas touch. On Breakaway Wealth, we'll unlock the secrets to breaking out of the herd, thinking big, and building wealth on our own terms. And now let's join our host, the founder of Create Tailwind and your abundance advocate, Jim Oliver. All right, welcome back to the show. This is Jim Oliver, and with me today, I'm excited to have Greg Dickerson. Greg, welcome to the show, buddy. Hey, Jim, thank you for having me. Yeah, um, Greg is a real estate expert and has some uh, unique uh, background and ideas and, and thoughts, and we're trying to find, Greg, for the audience, the right fit in the right sector, and I, and I wanted you to talk about that uh, in real estate, but before we get started, tell us a little bit about you, your background, kind of how you got to where you are today. Yeah, so um, I am originally from Virginia Beach, Virginia. I live in Charlottesville, Virginia now, and um, I did not go to college. I joined the Navy right out of high school, and after I got out of the Navy, uh, I did two things. I did real estate, uh, or I did construction and restaurants, the only two things that I ever did, and I'd be working in restaurants uh, at night and doing construction during the day. And um, I got started in the business as a builder. And I was uh, working in this restaurant and this guy was doing an addition on it and he hired me to come clean up after him. And he took a liking to me, I'm a hard worker. So I started following him around on different job sites and learning some trades and learning how to do some commercial construction. So uh, fast forward, I'm out of the military, I'm done with my restaurant career. And I moved to a place called the Outer Banks of North Carolina, which is the Hawaii of the East Coast. I'm a surfer, lifelong surfer. I've been on the ocean my whole life uh, until I moved to Charlottesville. And uh, so I moved there and I moved there to open restaurants. And uh, I worked one year in the restaurant industry down there and did not like it at all. Very difficult, very seasonal, uh, short term. And you, can't, you couldn't get any help. This is back in 1997 before the foreign exchange student thing was a thing. Uh, so anyways, uh, I was trying to get an addition built on my house that I bought there. And I uh, never really invested in real estate. That was my third home that I'd owned. Um, but I never did it as a business or as a business model. I was trying to get an addition built. Nobody would call me back. So I was talking to my neighbors and they said, man, everybody's so busy. Nobody can even return a phone call. And I said, well, where there's a problem, there's an opportunity. I had some skills. So I said, I'm going to start a construction company. And I started doing little remodeling projects, uh, handyman projects. My first year, we did 250000 in sales, seven years later, I was the largest builder, developer in the area doing $30 million uh, in sales. And uh, I learned how to do a lot of different things along the way with that. But basically, that's how I got started. I got started as a builder, remodeling contractor, and then I started doing uh, some real estate investment deals. My first deal was a lot flip, uh, made about $15,000, thought that was just, I was lighting the world on fire and I didn't even know you could do that. And uh, kind of, you know, pinch me, is this real? And then I started doing some land development deals. I started doing some commercial uh, projects, uh, started doing some deals with some other developers in other areas and just kind of learned uh, along the way uh, how to do commercial land development, bigger projects, multifamily, you know, things like that. And, uh, you know, just kind of working with uh, some of these more sophisticated developers, learning from them. They were coming down building houses on the beach and, and you know, I spent a lot of time together. So I kind of learned through them. Uh, and then I also educated myself along the way. So even though I didn't go to college, you know, I'm very self-educated through books, seminars, uh, books on tape. You know, my iPhone doesn't have one song on it. It's got books on tape. You know, before that, it was the iPod 80 gig. I still have it, the old, the old hard drive iPod. Yeah. Before that, it was CDs and then tapes, right? So that's how I'm wired. I'm always pouring into myself, always developing myself, 
um, professionally, uh, personally, as well as uh, vocationally. You know, that's awesome, Greg. You know, it's funny to say that about education because, you know, we like to ask uh, kind of where we're at in South Dakota, we are a no tax, no income tax state. So our neighborhood is packed with doctors who like to do procedures in South Dakota so they don't pay tax on, on that. And they're smart. We have a lot of clients that are uh, docs or retired docs. And, uh, you know, we ask them, you know, how many years do you go to school? And, you know, it's around up to 17, right? And, or they're in that range. And ask them, how many business or economics classes did you get? Zero. You know, it's zero every time, but they're going to be running these multi-million dollar businesses. And what, but they're, but they're becoming a doc, you know, they're a doctor. They don't have time to learn how to do this stuff and educate themselves. So they always kind of get taken over their lifetime. It seems like more than most people um, in, in some kind of investment venture that doesn't work out or, you know, they're buying, you know, franchise restaurants or something like that. And they, they don't, they don't educate themselves, but we don't get this education in, 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 in school. You, you could have an MBA and I guarantee you, you don't learn about real estate. You don't learn about how money really works and you don't learn about banking. Right. I mean, exactly. And, you know, along the way, uh, during that journey um, from 1997 till probably 2005, uh, in addition to doing the real estate deals that I did, uh, I also started 12 different companies uh, from from the ground up along the way. They were all ancillary and residual to the to the building business, you know, pool spas, landscaping, hurricane shutters. Um, I had some restaurants, uh, I had electrical company, painting company. Um, things like that. So uh, I had a plumbing company and usually it was, it was because of a problem, right? Somebody was either struggling in their business and they, they saw what I'd done that I was very successful very quickly. And they would come to me for advice or to partner with them. My pool spa landscaping guy was selling me pools and spas. He was with another company, always wanted to start his own business. Uh, so he came to me and said, you know, Hey, here's what I want to do. So uh, we joint ventured and, you know, I put up all the money and the expertise and coached him. And then he built that into the largest, you know, company down there in a very short period of time. So I helped him do that as well as the plumbing companies, other businesses. So all that to say, uh, in Charlottesville, we have one of the top business schools in the country. It's Darden uh, Business School, MBA program. And I was over there for the launch of their, uh, what they call their iLab. It's their incubator lab to incubate startups, right? Yeah. So I'm over there talking to them. I've got zero college education. You know, went in, went in the Navy right out of high school. And I'm talking about my career and my path and starting all the different companies and, and several of the instructors and I are talking they, and they look at me and they're like, well, how did you start 12 businesses? I'm like, well, what do you mean? They're like, well, how do you start a company from nothing? And, and I'm like, well, isn't this a business school? <laughs> I said, no, right. what they teach you? They yeah. said, well, no, we teach, you know, higher level, you know, thinking and, and analytics and theories. And, you know, we, we, you know, look at uh, other companies and case studies and things like that and uh, show you how to build financial models and, and things like that and run performance. And, and I said, you know, I've never built one performer in my life. You know, I said, I pay people to do that. And I didn't even go to college. You know, that's what I have my accountants, my CFO, you know, I hire experts to do that for me. I've never built one financial model myself. And, um, you know, so it was really interesting. And I said, well, you know, I started talking to them about how you actually start a company from nothing. And, um, you know, it's, it's an interesting thing, you know, how to create something out of nothing. Well, that's what entrepreneurs do. And here I am at Darden Business School in front of the iLab, the incubator lab for uh, entrepreneurs, you know, so it was really, really kind of a fun, fun day. And, and we had some good conversations. But, um, you know, I have a lot of friends who are physicians and, uh, and do a lot of business with doctors and physicians. And, 
and they are, they're very busy. Um, they're very focused. They have a very good income. So they are targets, you know, for, uh, you know, wealth managers, people doing deals, investors, things like that. So a lot of times, you know, what these, what these guys will do is they'll, you know, they'll go buy something and thinking it's going to be easy to run and I'll just run it myself. And, you know, whether it's an apartment building or a mobile home park or self-storage, you know, whatever it is. And oftentimes it's nowhere near where they are and they think it's just going to be, you know, really easy. Everybody's going to pay their rent and I'm going to pay the mortgage. and I'm going to make all this money. And, uh, you know, those things are a business. Each individual property that you buy, it's, it's like a mini business. You know, it's income and expenses. It's dollars in, dollars out. There's a management component. There's people involved. Even if it's self-storage, you know, that's a retail business, right? A lot of people think, man, that's great. There's nothing to do. Self-storage is retail. There's a lot to do. Mm-hmm. Um, same thing with multifamily, same thing with office, you know, same thing uh, with industrial, you know, retail, whatever sector you're in of classes of commercial real estate, you know, each one of those things are a business in and of themselves. So you've got to run them like a business or you have to have an organization or an infrastructure that can run them for you like a business and, and keep track of it. So you can do what you do. You know, if you're an orthopedic surgeon, man, you know, go do what you do, make more money doing what you do, and then partner with an expert or somebody like that, you know, to, to work with you or hire, you know, a team that has infrastructure to manage your assets. You know, last thing you want to do is try to step outside your expertise and uh, go get into something or do something that you just really don't know anything about and you haven't really educated yourself on because it takes a lot of time. I mean, I'm 21 years, you know, in my career of doing what I've done. I've done over $200 million in deals you know, in my career, as well as the other different companies that I've, I've done. And, you know, I you add those up, that's probably another hundred million in, in you know, uh, uh, business volume. But, um, it, you know, it didn't happen overnight. It wasn't like I could just go do it. I had to learn. I had to become an expert. I'm a leader, delegator, motivator. I outsource and leverage and I find professionals that are very good at what they're doing, managing the different asset classes, because there's experts in each one of those areas um, that I hire and I, I use to manage those assets to their fullest. So, um, uh, you know, I guess that kind of speaks to your question a little bit about, you know, how that happens and what happens. It's kind of like the old joke, right? A doctor hits a certain point and they go buy an airplane. Next thing you know, they crash and burn, right? That's right. So, yeah. uh, real estate's the same thing. You know, it's, it, I love what you said on a couple of things there, Greg, is collaboration. You know, um, my youngest business partner um, on, a, on a land uh, deal is uh, where he's doing all the work and we're putting up all the money is 18 years old. And he's a guy that decided he wasn't going to go to college, but he wants to get into real estate. Sharp guy and um, good for him knowing what he wants to do. Right. And, uh, um, and then, you know, I have, I have mentors and, and, uh, and coaches that are 88 years old. So anywhere between 18 and 88, I've got these people and, you know, I'm down in the Naples, Florida area. Now in, in Naples, the average age is deceased. Okay. So, you know, if you wonder, how, are, are there business owners down there that are 80 years old that own storage units or mobile home parks or multifamily stuff that just say, you know what, Jim, I just don't want to do this anymore, right? Now, by the way, I don't have to be the guy that says, well, I'll do it at 53, right? But I just need somebody 35, 40, 45, hey, maybe 65 to run it for me, Right. And I'll partner with them and, and, and I'll show them how to get this guy to help us buy the business because you said you bought businesses and started businesses and I own nine businesses and we've bought businesses for very little money out of pocket. 
on an earn out basis. If you understand how to read the books, right? I'm not going to be the guy doing the books, but right. I can read the books and we can come up with ideas on how to make an earn out, buy it on an earn out basis. And, um, and that gets really fun. Okay. Well, that's what I bring to the table. Maybe I bring some money. And if I bring somebody who wants to work their butt off and become the owner of the business, like you said, and grow it, right? Then that's a beautiful thing. That's collaboration. Right, right. And I love what you said about the numbers. So whether it's real estate or a business, it's all about the numbers, right? And that's what's really cool about it. You know, when you really drill down deep into the data, and that's what I'm very good with, is I know the numbers of the businesses that I'm in, the asset classes that I'm in. You know, I know what it takes to build them. I know what the costs are. Uh, I know what it takes to turn something around, how much you need to invest, you know, things like that. So once you know the numbers, then you intimately know the business. It's like the anatomy of the body for a doctor or a physician, right? You know, once you know the hum basic human anatomy, you can diagnose a lot of things and you can fix a lot of things and, uh, and you know what to look for. Same thing in real estate, same thing in businesses. You know, when you know the numbers of a business, you know the anatomy of a business. So you know how to troubleshoot, you know how to fix, and you know how to keep it healthy, Right. Um, and then, you know, I love what you say is, is finding great operators to partner with. And that's kind of what I've done my whole career is I have been that guy for a lot of people and then, uh, you know, working with me. So people come to me because of the, you know, my expertise, the deals that I do, I just make it easy, right? You know, it's uh, uh, at any given time, I've got any number of deals going on, whether they're, you know, uh, multifamily, hospitality. Um, I don't do anything in the office or retail sector. Um, but, you know, right now I'm focused on, on hotels. I've got some hotel developments and uh, some multifamily projects I'm working on, doing some ground up stuff, as well as purchasing existing assets, uh, value add. I'm opportunistic. I like heavy value add or, you know, complete redevelopment or ground up, you know, type projects. Um, so, you know, with the experience I have, it's a safe place for somebody to go and just like you said, partner. So they put up the money, I do everything else. And then they get a great consistent return. They're part of a really cool project. Uh, and they get to live vicariously through me while they do what they do and they don't have to worry about it, whether it's working or being retired, right? Um, you know, so that's one way. The other way is where I've been the guy, just like you, where I come along and now at my age at 51, what I bring to the table is the intellectual capital. So I'm an expert at, at a certain number of things. So if I get involved, that's what I get involved with is I've got the connections from an equity standpoint that if it's a company that has the ability to scale, well then I can bring the capital to the table as well um, through equity partners but what I bring primarily is my expertise and my contacts. On the real estate side, I bring the deal. You know, I'm very good at finding deals. I'm very good at creating uh, opportunity. I'm very good at getting things done. So I lead the teams on development projects. I've got world-class architects, engineers, uh, general contractors building these projects. I lead the charge, lead that team. I spend my time, time pretty much all day, every day on the road, uh, scouting projects, looking for land, looking for opportunities you know, vetting deals, they're big deals, you know, 25, 30, 50 million. So um, I put feet on the ground on every single deal that I look at. I don't do anything virtually in that regard. Um, you know, I'll, I'll look at something on the internet first before, uh, you know, just to kind of vet it, make sure there's an opportunity there. And then once I know there's an opportunity, then I'll drive to that location or fly, put feet on the ground, meet the people involved and, and, uh, and do it that way. And then I keep up with it as it goes along. So that's, that is, you know, one of the ways people can get involved, you know, in asset classes and different uh, projects and different types of investments, totally passive, where you're just a passive investor. And you just like you said, you're just getting a piece of the pie or return, but you're still part of something you can be in as involved as you want or not. Uh, or you could come alongside and be a straight up JV partner and, uh, and be a little bit more involved in, in the activity. I, I mean, I've got one guy who's a doctor who just loves to go by the projects. He just likes to go by and see it, right? Just because he's, 
when he's off, it, it's kind of like a hobby for him, right? Yeah. He, doesn't, he doesn't do anything. He just likes to go see it. He likes to walk around on the job site, put his feet in the dirt and smell the construction. You know, a construction site has a smell, right? And it's just, mm-hmm. it's really cool. Um, and then, you know, the third way to do it is, you know, if you're going to do some deals yourself, then find, like you said, find a mentor, find somebody that's an expert in the asset class that you're interested in and, you know, hire them to teach you how to do it and walk you through it and help you do those deals uh, so that at least you've got somebody that knows what they're doing. Um, every medical professional has gone through a residency, right? What is the residency? It's a mentorship. You know, you're, you're learning, you're being taught. And then everybody has an overseer after they're out in their practice. They've got somebody they're accountable to. They've got continuing education. They've got boards that they're accountable to. Um, and in a lot of cases, they have mentors, you know, that help them along the way. And, uh, you know, it's kind of like a franchise, right? Um, a lot of people get, in, get involved in franchises because it's a proven system. Uh, it works. You, there's no guesswork. You follow this system and you're going to make money. Uh, so it's a fairly easy thing to do. You still have to pay attention to it. You still need to know your numbers and you still have to go through the training. Um, but it, it's a predictable business model and uh, investing in commercial real estate um, or even residential, you know, can be the same way if you've got the right operator that knows what they're doing um, and, and understands and can keep you informed and knows their numbers, you know, so that's, that's the key. You know, what I love about what you said too, Greg, and just listening to you for the last, uh, you know, 15 minutes or whatever it's been is the confidence. It's not like, hey, I think that this is what we can do or this is what, you know, this is what I've, it's, it's very confident. Now, with confidence, you know, confidence is a skill set, but it comes by preparation, right? So you've done all of this stuff. It's not like it's a theory of, hey, I think that, I think that here's where I think the market is going um, with Wall Street over the next 12 to 24 months. And what we're going to do is we're going to do this modern portfolio theory and blah, 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 dollar cost averaging. And here's why I think this, uh, this, this company is, is uh, uh, positioned for growth where you don't have any control over it. Right. I mean, that's what Wall Street tells us to do with our money. And so many doctors, they put 55, 58,000, whatever the, the profit sharing uh, limit is for this year, like clockwork into those profit sharing plans. And it's a government control plan in Wall Street. Now, okay, now you're going to play a game with the government and Wall Street. And they know how to play so well, Greg, that you don't even know they're playing. Right. Now, if you're in real estate and if I go buy, let's say I want to build a hotel with you, right? And we go build this hotel. Is there any way we could lose all of our money? I mean, if, if the hotel burned down, we'd have it insured, right? Right. Uh, it, we wouldn't put a hotel where, where it wasn't growing or we were going to have flow and, and, and everything else. I mean, the, the, the chances of you losing everything, but when you go put your money in Wall Street, the chances of losing, losing everything is there. Yeah. And that's an interesting thing. So that's, you know, Wall Street, I mean, it's legalized gambling, right? We all know it now. The system's rigged with, you know, high frequency trading, um, hedge funds, you know, things like that. You know, the average average investor is at the mercy of every whim. I mean, when somebody can go on CNBC and say the sun will come up at 715 and the market changes 500 points either way, you know, because of some comment, I mean, that that's pretty telling. So, over the long haul, you know, the stock market has been a consistent, predictable animal, right? What we've seen in the last 10 years, and particularly after 2009, it's gambling. It's Wall Street. I mean, it's, it's Vegas, right? It's legalized gambling. It's, it's, it's Vegas brought to the, to the general public. 
in every household that anybody can log in, create an account with E-Trade or Scott Trade or whatever, and then start playing around. And even I did it. I never did anything in, in stocks or uh, equities or anything like that until 2009. And when the stock market hit the bottom, 6,000, I bought in. When yeah. the Dow was at 6,000, S&P was 600. I bought Ford stock at like a buck 90. I bought Citibank when it was like, or Bank of America when it was like a buck 19. I can't remember now. Right. And I just got in and got out, right? So I wrote it up a few dollars and then I sold it and just, you know, I said, hey man, I, you know, I'm a genius right now yeah. looking, looking back. <laughs> Had I kept that in there, man, you know, it'd be worth a ton right now. But it's kind of like the Bitcoin thing, right? Um, you know, it's, a, it's, it's gambling, it's dangerous. You know, there's just too many things against you. And like you said, during an economic event, that stock can vaporize. That yeah. company can close and the stock can be worth zero. Like we saw in the case of General Motors, the government came in and diluted the stockholders, right? right. Absolutely. So things can happen. When you own real estate, you own a tangible asset. Okay, so let's, let's say something happens and all of the real estate becomes worth zero. So the valuation is zero. All right. Well, you still have something if you have the right kind of asset class. Okay. And if you look at asset class, you look at your core services, people need to live somewhere. So whether you own, you know, houses or you own apartment buildings or you own condo buildings or, you know, ho even hotels can become housing in, in a bad economy. Right. So if you own those products, you still have something that's worth something to somebody. So let's say that our world economy collapses and our currency is gone, right? And, and the monetary system just doesn't exist. And we're on a barter system, okay? And you have to trade. Well, if you own housing, well, you've got something that's worth something that at least at the worst case scenario, you can trade. It's still gonna bring you income. It's still gonna bring you things. You could trade it for chickens, cows, cars, whatever, right? Gasoline, yeah. um, those types of things. So that's a very extreme worst case scenario. But, you know, let's say the real estate, the asset becomes worth zero. There's still income coming in from that asset. And if you, if you don't over leverage and if you place good, inexpensive long-term debt, which is a great thing right now, as we know, the Fed just said they're not raising interest rates. I don't see any real catalyst for interest rates to exponentially grow in the next 10 years. Uh, you know, because if we have another economic event, that's just going to drive rates back down, right? Yeah, yeah. We haven't had hyperinflation to the point to where milk is $10 a gallon and gasoline's $10 a gallon and, you know, things like that. We've had some inflation, but it's not hyperinflation. So that will spur the, you know, the Fed to raise rates, right? If, if costs start getting out of control. The only costs that are out of control right now are just basically construction costs because there's so much going on. That's supply and demand. That's sure. going to change. Once the market's oversupplied, you know, things will change. The costs will come back down. So that's a temporary thing. Interest rates are the real catalyst of, of an economic event. And right now, there is, no, there is nothing on the horizon that's going to drive those rates through the roof. So when you think about that and you look at the different asset classes, you know, of, of commercial real estate, right? You've got multifamily, uh, you've got office, retail, industrial, right? And then you have land. Um, and you look at those sectors, retail's overbanked. Almost anywhere you go, retail's not a great bet right now, right? With Amazon and the way the retail landscape is changing, shopping malls. Uh, if you look at office, same kind of thing. Everybody's working virtual. I'm in my house right now. Yeah. You know, I work out of my house and I'm on the road all the time, right? So my car is my office. And, um, you know, from site to site, project to project. Now, my team that works for me, a lot of them have their offices, the general contractors, architects, engineers, things like that. But a big portion of the, of the working, the workforce out there is going virtual and, uh, and working from co-working spaces, public spaces, and, you know, their, their houses. So office is, is a sector that's under pressure right now. There's a lot of vacancy in the office sector. Uh, now, there's, you know, there's little pockets here and there that are doing well. But overall, as an asset class, office is under pressure right now, just like retail is. So what does that lead? That leads industrial, which, you know, mobile home, or not mobile home, but um, self-storage falls under the industrial. 
sector, uh, which is, is very good, very predictable. Large industrial for people around the core services of the shipping industry, you know, for goods and goods that are being shipped, you know, Amazon, places like that, um, and, and people that serve Amazon. Um, so that, that's a good place to be. And then, of course, housing. You just can't lose with housing. People are always going to need a place to live. Uh, healthcare, people are going to always need healthcare, doctors, dentists, orthodontists, things like that. Uh, people are always going to need legal help pretty much. So law offices, you know, those, those are, if you're going to have an office, that, that'd be a great one to have uh, legal and medical, you know, professional services that, that have to have an office for the most part. Even attorneys can work out of the house and, and, you know, things could go that direction at some point. But at the end of the day, you got to buy gas, you know, cars, we're not going to be 100% electric in any, our lifetime, probably. Mm -hmm. I'm 51, you're 53. Yep. Yeah, so I don't think we're going to see all electric vehicles. We may get there someday as a nation and as a world, but not in this country anytime soon. Uh, so people are still going to have to buy gas. So those are great assets to own. People still have to travel for business, especially the more virtual the world gets, the more travel uh, that they're going to do. Um, you know, so the hotel sector is, is still good. There's still pockets where uh, that's undersupplied. Uh, if you're looking at the right metrics, you know your numbers, you know how to evaluate a market, you know where you can put a hotel and where you can't. Um, and then, like I said, healthcare, education, uh, food, people have to buy groceries, they have to buy food. So when you look at those types of assets, you know, those, those are good, safe assets to own that you know aren't going anywhere. You buy a stock in a company, you got nothing. You've got a speculative guess that this thing's going to be there and continue to produce at some point. And as we know, big businesses that we all thought were safe are closing every single day. Toys R Us, Sears, Kmart. Um, I mean, it's just, you know, day after day, you're hearing of, of some iconic brand gap, you know, that are closing stores left and right because of the way we buy and shop now. So, uh, so anyways, that's my take on safe asset classes. If you want to get into real estate, that's where I would be looking housing primarily. And that can be anything from single family to multifamily to mobile home parks to, you know, uh, condo buildings, apartment buildings, and even some hotels uh, that are, well, senior living is another one too. We've got an aging population, like you said, especially where you're at, uh, yeah. senior living in that whole uh, environment is changing. You know, senior high rises, you know, senior apartment complexes uh, for age restricted communities, you know, things like yep. that. So there's some really great asset at classes that have yet uh, to reach critical mass that, uh, that I'm looking at and investing in right now. There's always opportunity, but you know what I really like what you said there, Greg, is, you know, I would rather most business owners, most people like you, like me, would rather buy assets than financial instruments. Right. And, um, you know, business owners really buy assets. And what's kind of interesting is, again, being in the area that I'm at in Florida, is sometimes people build these businesses, they sell their businesses, and then they buy instruments, okay? And if they want to do that, and they don't want to be involved, and they just want to live the rest of their lives, is, you know, I always worry, for me, I would get bored. I mean, I'm, like, you know, I'm 53, I don't see myself quote, retiring. Retiring means to be taken out of service. That's the definition of the word retirement. And I don't want to be taken out of service, but I want to do what I want to do when I want to do it. Right. And if I, if I were starting when I was 25, I would have a 10-year plan to say, by the time I'm 35, I want to do what I want to do when I want to do it. I'm not killing myself now. Um, and um, so I could do what I'm doing now forever and still go to the beach and still play plenty of golf and fish and go on the, um, uh, out on the Gulf and everything else. So. Yep. Financial. Same thing here. So like I said, I'm leveraging outsourcing and, and utilizing other professionals to handle the day to day. So I can be anywhere, anytime. And, and my business still functions, especially with, 
you know, development projects. I have management companies that manage all my assets. So there's, there's hotel management companies, just like there's apartment management companies, just like there's residential management companies, just like every, every asset class, there's professional managers. So I have managers that manage the day-to-day. I manage them. I'm an asset manager. I manage the managers and I manage the human capital, the human assets that I have, general contractors, architects, engineers, you know, things like that. Um, so it allows me to be, you know, whenever, wherever, but, uh, but yeah, that, you know, the financial instruments. So what's the safest financial instrument today? If, if somebody says, look, I do not want to lose my money. I don't want any chance of losing my money. Where do you put that? What's the safest financial instrument out there right now? Well, I would say that um, infinite banking, but I don't know if you're familiar with that concept or not. Uh, I am, but let's take that out of the equation. So I'm okay. talking traditional mainstream. They so. might say cash. Somebody might say cash or or treasuries, right? Treasuries. Yeah, sure. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So treasuries is the answer I'm looking for. So look at our national debt right now. Okay. Yeah. What if, what if yeah. China and all these other countries say, we're not going to buy any more of your debt. We're not going to loan you any more money. Yeah. What happens to T-bills? Oh yeah. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So yeah. that right now from a wall street, you know, uh, traditional financial management model, everybody's being pushed into treasuries for the safest long-term bet for your cash. If you've got, you know, serious liquidity that you need to protect, you can't put it in a bank, right? Because banks can fail. We've all seen that. So sure. everybody thinks treasuries, you know, the United States government, our, our money is always going to be king, right? Which I believe in king dollar. I believe that, you know, the United States dollar is always going to be the currency of the world that's going to be the safe haven. But treasuries, on the other hand, is a little different. And, you know, that's a debt-backed instrument that, uh, that we can no longer service, right? We're making more to pay what we have to pay on that's a very dangerous position. So your infinite banking is a great concept because that's something you control. It's something you own. It's something that's not going to get wiped out by the government or anybody else. Uh, You know, it's your own cash, it's your own instruments that you've created and you have control over it. Um, Just like your real estate assets, you've got control over those. So that's kind of where I was going with that. Yeah, no. And, and, you know, you know, my brain is so um, anti anything that the government controls my money that treasuries didn't come up in my head because I know that that's not, and I, and I, if I say cash, I know that the bank, I know that the, the FDIC has, has $88 billion of reserves, but there's 7.1 trillion of deposits. So you're not insured there either. Guess what? Right. So when you say that, I'm, I, my brain says, I want to own something that I can insure that, you know, and, and when you use infinite banking, I'm going to go do all those things that you said, right? But I've yeah. got this money pool. Now, how do I Im- uh, how do I deploy it? And if I were somebody that, uh, you know, Greg, are you looking for more investors? Are you, I mean, are there, are there opportunities with some of the projects that you have and how would people find out about that and learn more about it? Yeah, absolutely. So um, we always uh, are looking for investors to come alongside of us in our projects and, you know, we do everything. We take care of all the heavy lifting and uh, it's a, it's a passive investment role, but they can, like I said, they can drive by the jobs and look at them, whatever they want to do or not pay attention at all. So yeah, so my website, gregdickerson.com, has all my contact information on there. My phone number's on there, 434-326-3903. Email greg at gregdickerson.com. And it's all on there, gregdickerson.com. A little bit of information about us and what we do. Uh, We're working on some Opportunity Zone projects right now. There's uh, a lot of talk about those. That's a place to park capital gains without the restrictions of a 1031. So there's a 10% write down at five years. If you keep the money in five years, you can take a gain, invest it in one of the projects, write down your capital gains due in uh, 10% in five years, 15% in seven years. And then if you keep it in there for 10 years, then anything you make on that gain uh, is tax-free. 
So it's a very attractive vehicle. People can look at the uh, a lot of information out there about opportunity zones. And uh, we have uh, about eight projects right now in opportunity zones that we're bringing out of the ground for uh, it's a place for that capital to go, but it doesn't have to be opportunity zone capital. So we, we place capital in all our projects. We use it for the equity side. We never uh, go more than 60%. Uh, so we always raise a minimum of 40% equity in our projects. So we're not over levered and we get better interest rates and it's non-recourse. Um, so, you know, the first thing everybody's interested in, every investor is preservation of capital by picking the right asset classes and the right lo locations. We address that concern. You know, it'll never go away. Worst case scenario, if the world collapses and real estate's worth nothing, we still have cash flow. We still have income and we still have something we can barter at the end of the day, if we ever reached yeah. Armageddon, right? And the dollar's worth zero. Absolutely. So that's how we preserve capital. And then the rest of it's gravy. You know, we, we do have some very good projects with attractive returns, you know, typically three to five year uh, periods and then up to 10 years for the opportunity zones. So one of the things that, um, you know, they, one of the habits of billionaires is they say they always stand next to the smartest guy in the room. So like Steve Jobs, uh, he, he uh, stood next to, uh, oh gosh, what's the guy's name? It starts with a W, which it was his partner at Yeah, Apple. Warren Buffett. Uh, or, or like Jobs, Wozniak, Wozniak, yeah. Wozniak, yeah, right. I absolutely couldn't. I I'm thinking Bill Gates there. and Warren Buffett, yeah. Yeah, yeah, but, you know, it's standing. So, you know, what I would encourage people to do is if you want to learn more, obviously Greg is an expert, obviously he's smart in this area. Um, you know, we're not saying whether this is right or wrong for you. You got to do your own due diligence. You have to think, uh, audience, we, you know, this isn't, hey, this is, this. there's no such thing as a no-brainer. You know, go do your due diligence and uh and 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 your homework but this this could be the right thing for a lot of people out there that are looking to get involved but don't know where to start um so greg uh i know you have another commitment i want to make sure that i'm uh respecting your time uh real quick tell me one book that everybody that you talk to you say you got to you got to read this book yeah so there's two recently one is principles by ray dalio hedge fund investor it's all about the numbers right scientific yep. let the data make the decisions yeah then happiness by harry edelson harry edelson was the most quoted man on wall street and he uh he created 12 unicorns he's on his 13th a unicorn is a company uh valued at over a billion dollars so he's a venture capitalist very successful um and his book is incredible it's about you know having satisfaction in life uh, living life with zero backlog um you know harry and Edelson is a great guy. Um, I, I've enjoyed, you know, his stuff. And, uh, you know, what I like about him is he has zero backlog in his life. I operate the same way. I'm never behind. I take care of everything right now. The best time to do anything is right now. So whether it's email, whether it's mail, whether it's, you know, whatever the situation is, I make the decision and we move on. And uh, that way I never wake up, you know, with just this huge list of everything to do. I take care of everything at the end of the day, whatever reading I have to do, whatever emails I have, everything's done. So I'm clear. Sleep better that way, yeah. right? Exactly. So, yeah. so that's it. And, uh, awesome. Uh, awesome. Well, yeah. Greg, thank you so much for sharing, uh, your time and your expertise today and your enthusiasm and your yeah, confidence, absolutely. which is, uh, it, uh, is definitely something that I appreciate and I'm sure the audience does as well. So until next time, uh, if you want to learn more about Greg, gregdickerson.com is the website. If you want to learn more about create tailwind and how to fund some of these projects that you might do in real estate, go to createtailwind.com. until next time. Thank you. I'm your host, Jim Oliver. Want to become your own banker and build wealth on your terms? We'd love to help. Go to createtailwind.com to learn more and schedule a complimentary consultation.